0: Welcome to the Voices of Manufacturing, where business leaders across the country share their unique challenges and insights.
1: We want to help people within manufacturing and make them excited to come to work every day and go home safe to their family. When you bring people in, they're anything but a machine. They're partners that can help you build your business, that can be your success if you treat them right. It's almost like magic because it takes the learning process sometimes from weeks down to days, sometimes
0: hours. This podcast is brought to you by Dazuki, the premier frontline digital transformation solution that allows manufacturers to standardize operations. And now here are your hosts, Brian Salee and Michael Mullenberg.
2: Michael, I, I've been wanted to get your your thoughts on that last episode with Mark Abessi from Superior Pack. What did what do you think about this concept of bootstrap digital transformation?
1: I just loved it. Mark and I think a lot alike. Trying to just make things work, make things connect. When things don't work, I innovate around it. I think we have a common theme of there's no such thing as an off shelf off the shelf solution. So everything requires some modification or training or, um, you know, even, even we got into some hardware discussions, which I thought was interesting. Um, So just love the approach. I I think uh, some of the vendors are probably cringing thinking they've got off the shelf solutions. And here I am saying, no, they don't work. You know, you've got to work around it. Um, So that was a great episode. It sounds like his team is also very engaged in the process. I like the aspect of using the resources he had at his disposal and letting people innovate. And so that, that kind of tees up our episode for today. I think we're gonna continue that conversation maybe on a different scale in and in a different environment. So looking forward to the conversation today.
2: I totally agree with you. I thought Mark, you know, he laid out this great framework. I really think it is kind of a, a framework about, you know, he really understood his production environment and where he was not able to, to get information in real time and wanted to. Uh, how he's going to collect that information, but not put too much of a burden on the operators actually make it easier for him. I thought that was a, one of the key takeaways from that episode. And, you know, today's episode, like you just mentioned, builds on that. Today, we're going to be talking about really, how do you prepare the frontline for digital transformation? And so I'd like to welcome our guest, Bill Tomlinson from Volvo Mack Trucks to the show. Welcome, Bill. Hi. Yeah, welcome. Welcome, I see uh, in the background, it looks like you got one of your one of your trucks there Yeah, uh,
3: uh, yeah. In the conference room here, a lot of the conference rooms, there's pictures of our products. Uh, we're a company with a lot of history and a lot of pride in the brand and the products we build. So, uh, throughout the factory and throughout all the office areas, there's pictures of our products and of course our iconic bulldog that represents the brand.
2: Well, Bill, that's a good place to start. I, I think, you know. A lot of people are probably familiar obviously with Volvo, maybe less familiar with Mack Trucks. Tell us a little bit about the company.
3: So Mack was founded in 1900 in Brooklyn, New York by some brothers, the Mack brothers. Uh, And then throughout the last 123 years, we've exchanged hands, Uh, but Mack has a long history of building durable, reliable trucks uh, for our customers, a lot of history uh, building trucks supporting the u.s military early on that's how we got the bulldog as our as our logo in world war one uh, it was a tough tenacious reliable truck and up to today we're still building vehicles for the the u.s military so we're located here in uh the lehigh valley pennsylvania uh, we're basically right in the middle between uh well close to allentown but we're not too far from Philadelphia, about an hour away from our north of Philadelphia. So our facility, we build um, six models. Uh, we've run two shifts. And uh, we have around twenty five hundred employees. So it's it's a pretty big facility. Wow, well, 2,500 at that at your one facility there? At this, yeah. So within this facility, we have a couple of different locations in the Lehigh Valley. So we've got some logistics centers. We've got, of course, our, our main assembly facility here where I'm at. We have a, another smaller assembly facility where they build the military vehicles and a couple other parts locations as well.
2: When I think of Mac trucks, like I look behind you, you've got that garbage truck. I've seen a lot of, you know, industrial type of applications for your vehicles. Are you guys building on top of your own platform or are other companies buying your trucks and then doing the customizations
3: on? On top of your truck. Uh, so yeah, that's a good question. So we build, uh, the highway tractors that where we, you see the typical trailer being pulled or a low boy, um, those basically come right from the factory ready to go. Uh, anything that's a construction or a refuse or a garbage truck does go to a bodybuilder. So the customer, when they order their truck from their local dealer, also decide what body they want on because there's a lot of different options for bodies. Uh, So they'll source the body uh, as part of the typical sale of a truck or the design of the truck also. So we we work with several of the bodybuilders and our engineering staff designs the connectors to work with their particular chassis. So, you know, if you're going to buy a Uh, A garbage truck, it's a specific application. If you're going to buy a a dump truck or a mixer, you're going to get some specific options and features for those bodies.
1: Can you tell us about the relationship between Volvo and Mac?
3: Uh, So Volvo is our parent company. So Volvo bought Mac trucks back in 2000. Uh, At that time, they sold off Volvo cars Uh, and with that money, they went to pretty big buying spree. Uh, they bought Mack trucks, which was at the time part of Renault. Uh, so back before 2000, Renault trucks, Mack trucks, and Nissan, we were all one company. Uh, they bought the truck line from Renault. So they got Mack trucks and Renault trucks. And, uh, they also went and purchased a couple other brands at that time. Uh, now Volvo owns, uh, they own Volvo bus which they've always owned, but they also own Volvo Penta, which is our Marine and industrial engines. They own rap and they build some off-road construction, dump trucks, uh, Renault trucks, like I mentioned, Prevost bus, which is out of uh, Canada. So they build luxury buses and, and motor coaches. Uh Nova bus is in upstate New York. They build city style buses. Uh, so, you know, if you've been in Walt Disney world or, um, or any of the major cities, they typically, your city style bus, of course, Mac. And then there's a military brand Arquist, that Volvo owns. So they build military style vehicles in Europe. Uh, So we have manufacturing facilities all over the world. Uh, Here in the U S there's, I think there's seven or eight facilities here in the U S alone. Well, Bill, what, what is, you
2: know, I want to go back to your production environment, I always like, you know, we're going to talk about how do you prepare the front line for digital transformation? But before we do that, I want to help the audience understand, you know, what does your production environment look like?
3: What are you guys doing there? So we have, uh, two assembly lines on, uh, two shifts. So our vehicle, one assembly line, we build 54 trucks per shift. So that's times two shifts. And there they build your typical highway tractor and your uh, vocational truck. So there's a lot of different options and combinations. You know, we have customers like UPS uh, who have specific orders and specific specifications to their truck. Uh, And then on our second line, we build our cab over, which is like the truck you see behind me in the picture. Those are typically a, a refuse style truck. Uh, they're also used for concrete pumpers. Uh, and we build, um, we build around 20 per shift of those style trucks per day. Um, and then of course, because of that, our, our tack time varies. So, you know, it's roughly 20 minutes on our vehicle two, which is our cab over line. And it's a little under eight minute tack time for our vehicle one assembly line. Uh, considerably longer than the auto industry. You know, I've, I've been to some car plants and two, three minute tack time. Uh, you know, to me coming from a truck factory, that's it's, it's like mind blowing seeing how fast their lines run. Well, you guys are looking, working on some, some big equipment too. So I,
2: I imagine that has a, a factor, a lot more movement involved. Uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of options for our vehicles. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So the variability, you're not making the same truck one after the other. There's a
3: lot of customization that's happening. No, no, we're not typically going to. So if you were to buy uh buy a hundred trucks from us, we're not going to run all 100 trucks of yours. You typically split them up over, uh, anywhere between a couple of weeks and a month, uh, because again, the variability your order may be specialized. So, uh, in, in order for us to keep that cycle time. We need to, we need to split up. New York City, again, is one of our huge customers. And we don't build two New York cities in a row because they're, they're slightly over our, our cycle time. So, then we need to uh, give the operators some time to catch up with a different, a different model truck before we go back.
2: Bill, you've been at this for, for quite some time. I, you know, I know you guys have implemented several digital solutions over. The last few years to the front line. I'm curious, let's really start with that frontline staff, especially with what the work type of work you guys are doing, where it's very there's a lot of variation in the production process. You know, when it came to implementing technology, you had to get some devices on the front line. How did you prepare your front line to start using these devices and interacting with with new software applications?
3: Um, so it, it's a bit of a challenge. And I mean, we're still going through it today. Uh, so early on, uh, implementing some of our torque tooling was the very beginning. A lot of our torque tooling is using barcode scanners. So we're scanning our, uh, technicians paperwork, and then those torque records get recorded into the chassis records. So that particular truck has all the, the torques being recorded digitally. Uh, so that's how it all started probably 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, so it was, it was a somewhat slow transformation for the textile and the assembly line. We used, and we still do in some areas use paper, use a lot of paper on our assembly lines as our work instructions. But that's then where we're going towards now the next transformation going away from paper, uh, we've, our teams have been installing computer terminals, computer stations line side on the assembly line so that the operators can have their work instructions uh, they can access their sops they can record all of the work processes that they're that they're doing they also can use it to communicate uh, we have a it's some homegrown systems so they can hit a little page button in their supervisor or their team leader can come over or they can call for i.t support or maintenance uh so this way you're not you know, picking up a radio or yelling for someone down the assembly line Uh, and you know, that gives us some traceability to how long it takes for someone to respond. One area gets, gets neglected more than another. We can try to address that.
1: I think historically in factories that I've been in, you know, a day in the life of the operator was stacks of paper, uh, you know, little, little notes stuck to the machine, a paging system, calling for help. So you're describing an environment where they've got a variety of tools. So, you know, what does a day in the life of an operator look like today? You know, they come in, they clock in, you know, what are those systems that they're interacting with, um, as they start their day?
3: Yeah. So, uh, we have a mixed variety of, of employees when it comes to technology. Um, just like a, a lot of other companies out there struggling to hire employees. We, we go through that sort of training center. We do onboard and orientation. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, we have a, a vast variety of skill sets with people. There, there are people in orientations who don't own a cell phone or have never used a computer before. Um, and then we've got people, some people who were relatively recently out of high school or attended college and decided the career that they, or the study that they went for, went wasn't really what they wanted to do. They have some some more skill sets. Uh, so, each of each of our employees on the assembly lines um, still have paper, but in a lot of areas we are supplementing that with access to digital information. So, there's computer screens, like I mentioned before, uh, where that some of them have the option to use paper or to use the digital screen. Uh, so. As they get more and more comfortable with it, as they get some help with their team leaders and their supervisors, we're seeing more and more of them uh, going towards those digital solutions, being able to use the digital work instructions, being able to pull up the SOPs on their own in the work instructions. Years ago, we used to have binders on our assembly line yep. with printed versions of SOPs. You'd have to walk over, find the binder, flip through it, hope the papers don't fall out you know, these boundaries wore out after a while, we want to always guarantee that they were even the, the most recent revision. So that's one of the big things that digitalization helps with, makes, makes sure that we're looking at the most recent revision of of things. So we're building what the customer's expecting.
2: Bill, you hit on a great point. I think a lot of companies struggling with hiring, right? That's just attracting is a challenge. Are Are you guys, when you're evaluating candidates, you know, obviously you're going to, Take what you can get sometimes because you just have to, but when you're evaluating candidates, are you looking for, you know, some skills around using digital technologies, whether software, you know, even just as basic
3: as, you know, interacting with tablets? So we're under the work mindset that we can teach them how to use those things. If they have the mindset that we want to come to work, we want to do the right things, we're already ahead of the game. At that point, we feel that we can teach people how to do almost anything. Uh, we are starting to look at some tablets in the training center here that I manage. All of my staff, uh, the team on our, the group, the member of our team, they all have tablets we're, so we're using iPads uh, to go out there and train. Um, some of my team's developing apps and, and most of my team came from the shop floor. So these were some high-performing technicians who express some interest in, one, helping other people, uh, and, and two, had some of that experience and knowledge. And they're sharing that knowledge with the other members of uh, the, the assembly teams and logistics teams that we have.
2: Yeah. I like that mindset. We, if you've got the desire and the motivation to work here, we'll teach you the other stuff, which is, I think, that's a really great way to look at it. So I'm, Curious then, how are you guys teaching some of these skills as you guys are rolling out some of these new solutions? Somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience working with computers or tablets, do you guys have any training to support that and develop those folks?
3: Yeah. So, uh, for some of our positions, so we are a union environment. Uh, the, the technicians on the assembly line for members, of United Auto Workers, um, but we do have some qualified positions, so. Certain jobs need some qualifications or need certain knowledge. So there's some testing that we do, depending on what the job is, we'll give them either a written test on knowledge of the truck, or there are some computer tests, if they need to use a computer, we've got some basic computer tests that we've made where there are either multiple choice, or they actually have to be able to create an Excel file or send an email to share their knowledge with us. And some of the people are interested in learning more. So they'll come in the training center ahead of time. We give them some basic lesson. There's a lot of great YouTube videos out there. Again, that's one of the reasons, you know, that we like Suzuki so much is because people watch videos and learn how to do it. So, uh, we sit through and show them some YouTube videos. We sit through them and give them some help in terms of how to do, you know, some of the basic functions when it comes to using a computer. Uh, and a lot of them even share that, uh, they, They ask their kids, you know, a lot of them have kids in elementary, middle, high school or in college, uh, and and they will talk to their children or their spouse who may have some more experience and and they help them at home as well, you know? So that's some motivation that a lot of our employees have in order to, in order to better themselves. They, they don't
2: want their kids knowing more about technology than, than they do.
3: (laughs) Well, I, I mean, if, if you've got kids, you know what it's like sometimes I, I have to ask my kids some questions too, even though I I think I'm somewhat technologically savvy there every once in a while, something stumps me. The PlayStation always gets me. I I can never win, never beat them anymore.
1: (laughs) That's great.
2: Bill you mentioned this training center tell us a little bit about this training center is this something that all employees go through or is it just at certain points in their development they're going to use the training center what tell us a little bit about that
3: yeah so uh, our training center is relatively new it's been around for about five years it was something that myself and the team put together I was in a different role I was in quality and we were trying to resolve problems it was always uh, after the issue had happened out there trying to fix issues and then kind of tried to go into more a little bit more of a proactive approach. Uh, so we, so myself and a few other people started being a little proactive and kind of evolved to a training center. So uh, we have a, uh, a staff, we've got myself and two other managers, and then we've got a staff of seven union trainers. And again, they all came from the shop floor. Most of them previously were, came from the team leader ranks. So. We pulled a lot of the high-performing team leaders uh, and they have become some of our our trainers now. So we do everything from new employee orientation, both for our white collar and our blue collar employees. Uh, We're basically holding an orientation almost twice a month, uh, you know, just due to needing uh, the sheer number of employees that we need. So yeah. So every employee goes to orientation. and Then we also offer, like I said, those development courses for people who want to take other positions in the facility. And we give training on forklift. We do welding, training, all sorts of certified positions in the facility, as well as just general routing and clipping, teaching people how to uh, use torque tooling, how to, how to use the cranes in the facility. We're involved closely with our safety department. Uh, Of course, the training center falls under HR. So we're doing a lot of soft skill training as well. Uh, leadership communication. Those are, those are huge challenges for our company and every company, I'm sure. Uh, so we get involved in, in a lot of that. Some of the training we give internally, some of it we ex- um, we have done through Volvo group, Volvo group has a, a training program that we can rely on. And then there's also a couple community colleges in the area that we also partner with uh, some of those skills that we may not have in the training center.
1: I want to go back to the, the digital applications, both, both the hardware and the apps and the software, and just, you know, ask a question about how do you, how do you get resources to, to tie all that together? You know, getting the devices in place, getting the devices connected, getting the apps to talk to each other. Um, you know, what, what kind of resources do you tap in to do all
3: that stuff? So we have a, uh, we have a couple of teams here within our facility. Uh, we've learned over time, we didn't have them originally. Uh, wh- what happened was someone had an idea, you know, you don't want to stifle creativity. They went off and started working on this project. And lo and behold, there was another person in another area of the facility working on that same project, same idea, two different solutions. And uh, we realized after a period of time that. We need to try to manage, control that. So we've got a couple of teams working on standardizing our processes. So I'm a member of, of two of them. One's on the IT side, one's more on the HR side. So, um, you know, we meet every two weeks and when we hear about things that are happening, we ask that person to come in, they present this allows them to kind of share some of those ideas. So, you know, for example, uh, paper paper is a huge problem. Recording training, we do a lot of recording of training. So for years we would just have sign in sheets and depending on the class size, you know, if it's 20 people, it's not a big deal. But once we record the paper sign and we have to load the training into our LMS. So the employee gets credit for it. Uh, but every month we do a safety talk and that's all 2000 texts on the shop floor. So you get a stack of paper this big at the end of each month. And then my staff had to enter that into our LMS system. And, you know, it, it just took an ungodly amount of time. So, uh, you know, you start to find your problems and you talk about them. We do a lot of Kaizans here. Uh, what is the problem? What's the root cause of the problem? Uh, and, and we, you know, developed an app for example. So using power apps, uh, remember my team developed an app where we just scan our employees barcodes it looks up some information in the system and it saves it in an Excel file and we just load it right into our LMS system. So something that used to take us three days for now takes us an hour. Uh, And and it's those little things that really make an improvement for us because it wasn't a huge impact to the operator. You know, instead of passing around the clipboard with a piece of paper, they just walk up to their supervisor's phone and, and scan their employee ID it just gets loaded in a log. So, I mean, for them, they, they're more accepting because it's not a solution. That means more work for them. And that's one of the things, a lot of our solutions that we try and come up with. needs to be easier for the operator. We can't add technology and make it harder, more work because they already have a lot of work as it is, um, you know, building these trucks. We have to make it easy for them to use.
2: Yeah, Bill, that seems like the challenge for most companies, right, is, you know, there's information that you want to get right during the manufacturing process. Uh, There's checkpoints, whatever it is you're trying to, to capture some sort of data. At times, that data collection can make it more difficult or more cumbersome for the operator. How do you guys balance that where these are the needs of the organization versus making sure that you're not making the job miserable and it's becoming a data entry position in
3: addition to doing assembly? Yeah, it's getting that input. So, you know, when we implemented the Dazuki system, we piloted it for a long period of time. Um, and when we pilot things, easy thing, right, is to go to the most technologically savvy person in the area or in the team and say, hey, we have this idea. We want you to try it out. So we do that, but we also try and find people who are sometimes a little more resistant or struggle with technology. And we try to pick both of them to get a balance. Uh, because if we pick the high performer every time, everything's going to look great, right? But then when you roll it out to everybody on the assembly, then that's where you're going to find your problems. So we wanted to try and identify these problems before we go into full production with any type of IT system. So, like I said, with that barcode scanner app that we made, you know, it's just it's really a simple app. Um, right through Power Apps through Microsoft, it was probably created by my the one member of my team and you know a couple days but we piloted it for i don't four months before we fully went away and pulled all the paper sheets away and even at the the last month we gave them the option between the paper sign-in or the digital sign-in and we had very few people still hand the paper in. most people after they tried it two or three times on their own moved away from it it was the same thing we piloted zuki we picked a couple different areas of the factory where we knew that we'd have a pretty good, high success rate and other areas where we thought it'd be more challenging. Uh, you, you really got to get that, that full buy-in for everybody. If, if I come up with an idea and I say, Hey, we're going to do this. You now people are somewhat resistant sometimes, but if, if you make them think and believe that they're involved, and we want them to be involved. We have them in our meetings and, um, get them involved in the early on it's, it's a whole lot easier to get these changes done in a, in a pretty quick and, and good way. And a lot of times they come up with suggestions that we didn't even think about. Um, so we're able to make the systems and these, these processes even better, even with, uh, like I said, the apps and the Zuki, and we're giving feedback to both your company and, um, our people internally who are, who are creating apps and programs.
1: Yeah, Bill, I I love how transparent you are about, we go slow, we take our time, we, we, I, I work with a client that uses the term protagonist and antagonist. And I think you just said it, you have, you know, the kind of the easy wins and the people that are going to, you know, maybe challenge you a little more. And through that process, you're innovating, you're communicating, you're sharing you're uh, and, you know, just thanks you, thank you for being transparent about that process. It, it's not easy, is it?
3: And that is something that I personally learned from mistakes. you know, uh, years ago, this little story here, years ago, uh, we had a, uh, every summer we're down for two weeks and my, well, this is when I was a quality engineer, myself and the supervisor were like, let's, let's clean up this area for the team. And when they come back, they'll have a nice break area. So we had some picnic tables brought in and microwaves and of few refrigerators, because before that, where they ate lunch was this old rundown picnic table. They didn't have any microwaves. They didn't have refrigerators. Some people were sitting on some spools that airlines used to sit on. Um, they came back and they were pissed off at us. Uh, and we couldn't figure out why. We had to undo everything. We had to get rid of the refrigerators, get rid of the microwaves. And it, it comes, you know, in, in the end, it turns out, well, This these people, liked one another and we combined a few areas and and they sat where they sat because they got along and and other people in other areas were sitting together because they got along. We forced them all to be together. Um, So we undid it, we got their feedback, and then we came up with a better solution. Eventually those same refrigerators and microwaves came back. Uh, They got the buy and they got to feel like they provided input. Um, So, I mean, just that little experience I had really was something that I think about going forward with anything that I work on um, nowadays.
2: Bill, when you guys, I, I really like this point here, you know, you're trying to make sure that you include the right stakeholders. A- at what point do you bring these people in, right? Like you're, you know, someone has an idea for bringing in a certain solution. Do you guys evaluate and say, yeah, this is a good idea. I want you to make that decision. Then you bring in these other stakeholders to get their opinions. Like how does that process work where you're collecting that
3: feedback. Yeah, pretty much everybody tries to do that early on, you know, not just myself. Um, you know, even, even projects that affect the training center that we may not have full engagement in, we do get included in from either production or logistics, you know, if, if they're bringing in some, some new forklift equipment that we may need to train on because it, it just makes it so much easier There are occasions though, where people slip through the cracks we had, we had an incident recently where an issue slipped through the cracks. We brought a new piece of equipment in. They asked for training. We didn't know anything about the equipment. We had to end up buy some training material for it. And we were a little bit behind getting the techs trained. So, you know, when, when the groups realize, uh, the teams realize how, if they don't get everybody, the stakeholders involved in the very beginning. When you roll out your project, there's a delay at the end, you know? So trying to get everybody involved at the very beginning is key. And we even do that with our technicians on the floor. So when we're implementing a new process or a new model truck, some of the stuff we're getting into now with VR, we've been pulling them into some of our conference rooms and we have some VR technology where they can, you know, virtually walk around in their new workstation, you know, cause there's a lot of companies put a lot of effort into tooling. Uh, and then it hits the shop floor and the techs don't like it, right? Uh, and then you just spent $100,000 or more on some tooling and it's collecting dust in the corner. And then you got to come up with another solution. So we, we again, have learned from some of those mistakes and and try and get our techs on the assembly line and logistics teams involved at the very beginning, early stages. It's tough though. It is tough getting people off the line, um, you know, and and getting really good constructive feedback from everybody. Some people don't want to you know, insult you. The techs don't always want to insult an engineer, a project manager. So, you know, getting that good feedback, you know, I like it or it's great. That's, that's never the feedback I want from anything. Uh, I, you know, we're always looking for some constructive criticism to, to help us improve.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you also highlighted in, uh, you know, in your conversation, really defining the problem you're trying to solve. I mean, you, you seem to have a knack for getting at the root of the problem and making sure everybody agrees that it's really a problem. I and mean, that seems like a great place to start.
3: Yeah. So we, we really do have a, uh, a strong Kaizen culture here, continuous improvement, the Volvo production system, you know, it exists. I'm sure you've heard of the Toyota production system, uh, here at Mac, we call it the Mac production system, MPS, but it's, it's based off the Volvo production system, which, you know. Everything is basically based off the Toyota production. TPS. Yeah. Yes. So we're, we're spending a lot of time. We're spending a lot of time trying to figure out what the problem is. We do a lot of trainings also for our teams in order to help our managers do coaching, help our team members do coaching in order to really get to that root cause of the problem, because you don't want to fix something more than once. You want to, you want to put some sort of solution in make it a robust solution and, and, and implement it. So, yeah, we definitely take, uh, the problem solving mentality, uh, very close, you know, world-class manufacturing principles.
2: Bill, I want to hit on something here. Cause I think this is an area that, you know, I know Michael and I, we haven't discussed too much on this show is you mentioned, you know, you've got leaders, right, you've got supervisors, team leaders, managers. What are you guys doing to help them level up their skills when it comes to technology so that they're better able to,
3: to support those frontline workers as you guys are implementing those technologies? Yeah. So, um, for, for a lot of our areas, we have curriculums and we've been developing curriculums that each role has certain responsibilities and certain things that they should know. So with our team leaders, for example, some of the basics, getting them Basics in some of the Microsoft programs we do. Volvo has a lot of homegrown programs for our production systems. So upskilling them, we've even gotten to the point where we have some team leaders who are interested in 3D printing. So we have a whole tooling department that makes our tools and fixtures out of using some 3D printers. We had a couple team leaders who had some background who kind of did it on their own as a hobby. And we pulled them in, we scheduled a CAD training with them. We brought an outside organization in, we had a two-day seminar, gave them some basics and, and they're actually making tools and fixtures on their own. Um, so, you know, getting them engaged in solving the problems for their techs right there, their team right there on the assembly line without having to write a work order. Wait two weeks, three weeks for the work order. And then it's not exactly what they wanted. And so they has to go back to the drawing board they get the, the actual person who is having that issue or wants to use the tool, come over, look at the design on their computer, and then they go ahead and print it out. So, you know, that we've seen a lot of uh, strides with that. Uh, when, it, when it comes to our supervisors, so we give um, all our team leaders, all our supervisors, cell phones, uh, they all have laptops and computers, so they've got access to pretty much all the, the systems internally and, and and can communicate to one another. Um, and again, we have a lot of kind of homegrown apps and programs that we've been developing to try and fix these problems, uh, that we, that we have identified or experienced
2: over the years. I'm, I'm curious, you know, when we talk about this team leaders, supervisors, managers, implementing new technologies, you know, there's always some level of resistance or some friction when you're implementing these technologies, are you guys coaching, uh, these leaders, you know, on how to address these situations, how to show some empathy to the frontline workers, not just, you know, kind of shove it down their throats, you know, you gotta use this. Like,
3: how, how are you guys coaching them in those areas? Um, so one of the the positive things for us is our supervisors, our supervisor pool typically comes from our team leaders. We do a pretty good job in my opinion, promoting within. So. As a new employee, you start off as in as a material tech a production tech. If they're interested, they can become a repair. We call it flex position, where they kind of learn all the jobs on the team. So if someone's sick, they'll fill in a lot of time, those flex who are interested to become team leaders. So they have that knowledge of the flex and what the production tech did. And then the same thing when we have openings for supervisors, a, a number of our team leaders apply for those roles. So they, they have that knowledge. We're not typically hiring our supervisors off the street with relatively little to no experience, how our production systems work. So they really can relate to the techs on the assembly line because they did those jobs, they, they remember what it's like. They know the problems. They know the, the tips and the tricks a lot of times, and we do really rely on them to Initiate some of these technologies, so we'll get again, we'll pull them in uh, once we get ready to roll out any types of systems, we'll have meetings with them, our business team leaders. We'll meet with the team leaders and the supervisors and then try to roll that out um, in their small groups. we talk about you know, how do you prepare
2: this front line? We've talked about you know some of the ways you guys determine what solutions you want to pilot, getting stakeholders involved you're just mentioning how do you guys prepare your supervisors, your managers for coaching these frontline employees during a transformation. I like to switch topics now. I'm, you know, Michael and I are always curious, you know, what, what are some of the other apps that you guys are evaluating now that, you know, you mentioned VR, I think that's a really exciting one. I'm not sure if you guys just saw Apple announced the augmented reality. Headset yeah, I yesterday, that. yeah. So tell us a little bit about more about, you know what what technologies you're looking at now what you're excited about
3: uh so we actually are utilizing some VR um in the training center we about a year ago bought a VR welder uh, so all of our welders need a certification they need to be certified in order to weld uh, on our our trucks so we would we send them to a local school and they get trained um but what we were seeing was People that we would ask were interested. They don't always have the skill sets they said they had. Uh, So what we did is we ended up buying a a VR welder because, you know, just pure footprint of a welding stall with the welding equipment and all the metal wasn't exactly environmentally friendly. We were going to create a lot of waste. Uh, So we purchased a VR welder. And we are using that to first train the operator. A lot of them uh, have some previous welding experience. Maybe they're welding at home or learned how to weld in school, maybe need a little bit of refresher. Uh, So we give them a couple weeks to practice on our VR welder. Uh, Then we send them to get certified at at the local school. And we use the VR welder also to maintain that continuity. So if, if you're a welder, If you're not welding on a daily basis, there's a requirement to keep a continuity, you know, keep your welding skills fresh. So we, we bring them in every six months or so, uh, if they haven't been welding, they can use that equipment and we get some pretty good, uh, feedback. We've actually had a hundred percent success rate. Everybody who has taken and trained on the VR welder has passed the welding exam at the local school. Uh, So they could really use that to show their competency. Um. You know, when it comes to welding, there's a little bit of differences. Um, you know, your, your welding rod doesn't get stuck to the metal. Um, but you know, when, when you're using it, it is enough to simulate. Uh, it allows them to get instant feedback. Uh, the, the, system we bought gives them depending on the setting, it can give them feedback if they're going too fast, going too slow, if their hands are too shaky. Uh, so it gives them that instant feedback, uh, which we really like. We're also, haven't purchased, but we're looking at some VR forklift technology because training a new person on a forklift can be dangerous. We have trained people how to operate a forklift, give them our certification, who've never driven a car before. I mean, there's, there's a population on the younger side, some of them who don't have cars. They're not interested in driving or they can't afford a car, whatever the reason may be. And they're a good employee. A lot of them, are actually pretty good at forklift driving, you know, because the joystick and the controls are a lot like video games. They pick up on it very quickly. Um, so we're, we're investing or investigating, I should say, uh, um, some VR forklift technology. Uh, some of these instances, we usually go out and benchmark somebody. So we find some local area who has that equipment. We'll go look at it. We'll talk to their operator, see how they like it. Cause we don't want to purchase that. You know, make that sort of investment if our employees aren't gonna use it. We'll bring some of the employees with us too, get their feedback on it. So yeah, the VR forklift is uh it's on my uh on my radar is one of the next things that we're gonna buy. Even our logistics, our logistics team sold at a trade show and they brought the paperwork back to me and I said, Yeah, we're already looking at it. Uh, so our logistics team is already bought into it. Yeah. Uh, Michael, you know, know. Like you oh, know. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just gonna tell Michael we had a guest on a few episodes ago and she had this great line she was in learning development uh and she said you know we can't find the people we need with the skills we need so we have to create them and you're just hitting on exactly what i think most manufacturers are going through is i can't find somebody with experience an experienced welder out there so i'm going to have to develop that skill created in that person i think that's just the way of the future for a lot of manufacturers right is you're going to have to have robust systems like you guys have with the,
3: the vr welding yeah. I mean, a lot of the people that we're hiring, um, you know, come from all, war- all walks of life. You know, they may have worked at a convenience store or a fast food restaurant. Some of them had their own landscaping business. Some may have worked in manufacturing, um, but, you know, our type of manufacturing is a little bit different. You know, hiring uh, someone who knows how to build a truck off the street, good luck. You yeah, know, you're, you're yeah. not going to find, we those people are already here. You know, we already yeah, have yeah. the deployed here. Um, Finding new people is is yeah, the you challenge. created them. Correct. And and that's what we're trying to to do. Yeah.
1: Bill, Phil, I just have to comment. You you are so unlike the typical digital transformation person that I've run into. You're not chasing shiny objects. Um, you know, you don't have your order for your Apple headsets already. And applying it and seeing the benefit right away. I mean, every example you just shared. You're seeing a real benefit. You know, the welding thing is working that, you know, that training people without driver's license on forklift forklifts is working. So just every one of those things is, is, you know, measured amount of success and not just chain, you know, chasing a digital tool or a trend. So I, I applaud you for that. Sounds like it's going well.
3: Yeah. We don't want to be looking for a, a problem for our solution. No, that is not the yes. mindset we
2: want to have. I I always like the phrase, you know, it's a hammer looking for a
3: nail, you know? Exactly. Yep. Same yeah. idea. And, that, um, it seems- and that's something that we're very much aware of. In this yeah. It, you guys seem to be,
2: uh, I, I the first term that comes to mind is unrestricted when it comes to evaluating and looking for new solutions. What's What's the management team like there? I mean, is leadership, you know, just behind you guys and pushing digital transformation you know, down in the
3: organization, say you guys figure out what solutions are going to be best for us? Pretty much, it is what is best in terms of the solutions they want the area to develop it. So we've got team boards. Who should develop the team board? The team. It's, it's yeah. not my job. It's not our production systems. You know, we're helping, we're guiding, we're coaching, um, but we're, we're actually re- revitalizing our team boards right now. Um, you know, so they're the ones, our team leaders, we've got three or four team leaders who are involved in this area of redoing our team boards. So our plant management has visions. We've got goal, they've got goals. Um, they give us some objectives and we, we do our best to follow it, but they are pretty flexible. If uh, we, someone here can prove that this is the best way to go, they're open to that. They'll, they'll buy into it. Same thing happened with zuki and some of these other apps that we put in, the VR forklift, the VR welder, you know, you write a, a Kaizen with a, a good business case. Um, I mean, really, no one's going to say no to that.
0: Um, yeah.
3: you, have a, you have a good return on your uh, BC ratio, benefit to cost ratio. You're, you're, you're good to go.
2: Bill, I think you could probably put together a master class for folks in manufacturing on how to justify the expense for a new application. I recall when you guys brought in Dazuki, it's the best, still the best ROI justification presentation I've ever seen. You guys literally did like a side-by-side creating work instructions in Dazuki creating them in Excel, I think it was, or PowerPoint, and just showed how much more time it takes. Is that something, are you guys doing these kind of you know, detailed cost justifications, ROI presentations with, with every solution or some of them just kind of like no brainers. It's like, yeah, we got to move forward in this direction.
3: Now, pretty much every one, uh, every project that we're going has to have a Kaizen for it to be approved. We have, um, we have a continuous improvement team and our business control team. They were very closely together and they actually have quarterly. They do a review where they, they reward the best Kaizans whether it's the, the largest impact or the, the biggest safety issue decrease, whatever it may be. Uh, they, meet meet, we actually celebrate these sort of things Our our leadership team meets that activity and everybody gets together and it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty entertaining time. Everyone gets a chance to present the Kaizans that were. In in the consideration to be the, the top dog in for that, for that quarter. So, yeah, uh, everyone's on board with that. Michael, I'm curious on,
2: on your side, you know, you've, you've helped get a lot of solutions implemented at 3M. Did you guys have any type of structure to how you propose new solutions to justify, you know, the investment?
1: yeah well a variety of formats like i could probably learn a few lessons from from bill here on how to do it better for sure um but yeah there there was always that ab comparison you know the control group we found that for some of these solutions that was a very expensive evaluation so we had to try to convince them more on the gut feel um you know in a perfect world we'd have the side-by-side comparison but we could convince them to move ahead with a pilot and and just you know, sort of gauge the enthusiasm, Um, you know, some of our other solutions were, were sponsored. You know, we had great air cover. We had some leaders that would say, um, you know, do, do what's right. I got your back. And so there was very little justification until we proved out the, you know, the solution in the end. Um, So, yeah, I think it, uh, in this business, I think, Bill, you'd agree. You have to be a little bit of a salesman and you have to really think quick on your feet. And if you can restate the problem statement and just, and just go back to that every time, I think that's part of the equation. I, I think you're doing that really well. I'm very inspired by what you had to say.
3: Yeah, we, we try the best that we can. And What when I, when I mean, we, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people here on this facility, by no means am I the, the smartest one here, even in my own department. The, some of the things that you know, members of team come up with, they, they teach me things. You know, one of my guys, he taught me how to use uh, Power BI not too long ago. And, you know, uh, it was was something that actually ended up saving me a lot of time. I was able to automate an email that I had to send on a regular basis. So now all I do is I click a a button in a SharePoint list and it automatically sends the email to everyone who needs it. So it, it cut down on time and it standardized the email because whether I sent it or two or three other people sent it, now it's the same message that gets sent. So, you know, little things like that really do, uh, do help, you know, a lot of times people are afraid of the investment of the time ahead of time, you know, mm-hmm. to implement these things this isn't easy. It, it, takes a lot of time. Uh, it could take days, weeks, months, but in the end, the amount of time it saves on the back end, you know, just, just for us updating SOPs is, is a huge time savings from what we were doing before to what we were doing now. Updating an SOP in Excel was a nightmare. People hated it. Uh, you know, that was some of the biggest feedback that we got, uh, with the, with the use of technology, how much easier it kind of made create and then revise. Cause we want them revising SOPs. Any SOPs that, you know, revision one means no one's looking at it. I have yeah, the SOP, revision really- 20.
1: I'm curious, Michael. Did anybody say, say, Bill? Yeah, you know what, where I'm going, Brian. Yeah, Bill, I'm curious. Is, is is did anybody say about your digital solutions that this is fun? Because that was one of the reactions we got, and we actually use that as justification. We'd point to a person and say they think this is fun compared to the old way. When when is standard work fun? I, I don't think, think
3: they said fun, but they said it was so cool. much easier. And they did not want to go back. The, the group that we piloted it with said they, it was either this or they're not going to do anything ever again.
1: Well, there you so
3: go. Okay. Now, okay. I got now I got to convince our leadership team that that's the way we want to go.
1: Yeah. You take it away <laughs> or have a ride on your hands. Yeah. Well, Bill, this has been a great
2: conversation. I think we've definitely learned a lot and these are some great takeaways for our listeners. I'm curious for you personally, it seems like. You've probably grown a lot in the last few years, implementing these solutions, working with all these teams. Has there been any outside resources that you've used or anything you would point somebody else who's maybe in, was in your position five years ago that you could point them to?
3: Yeah. So, so honestly, I, uh, and, and including my team, enjoy reading books. Now with that, I mean, audible,
0: Yes, I'm not a reader. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, <laughs> uh, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I watch a lot of YouTube videos. So there's, there's a guy, there's a SharePoint guy that I follow and I watch his YouTube videos. Cause I'm always trying to make our SharePoint easier to access. Cause it's our main landing site, you know? So I watch a lot of YouTube videos, um, you know, just a lot of I try and develop myself and I kind of think about that. I like, I wasn't a great student in school, you know, like I was. I was more interested in sports and things like that. Um, but you know, like you said, the person I am today is definitely not the person I was, uh, a few years ago when I, when I joined this team, but yeah, yeah. audiobooks. Yeah. there's a ton of great audiobooks out there, all sorts of different topics and podcasts I've been, uh, since I, I discovered your podcast, I have pretty much, uh, listened or watched on YouTube to pretty much all of them. So, you know, cause, and there's a lot of interesting perspectives that different people have, like, I don't, yeah. I don't have all the ideas. I don't think I'm, I'm not the smartest person in the room. So I, I wanna learn what I can and, and encourage my team to learn and, and help in the training center, help the rest of our staff grow and, and become more productive in our facility.
2: Yeah. I, I could tell, you know. It, for Michael and I, we get to sit back and interview a lot of amazing guests that have these great experiences at these big companies, small companies, you name it. And I think that kind of the common thread we're seeing is the people who are leading digital transformation, they all have this continuous improvement mindset, there's always a better way, uh, and they're going to pursue it. And so I definitely could, could see that something uh, strong in your organization. And I think that's, that's really inspiring to, to see management, you know, kind of let you guys go, let you loose obviously with some constraints, but, uh, it's really neat. I think that's, that's probably the answer when it comes to, you know, who should lead your digital transformation strategy? Well, you know, start high level, but let the folks down for the organization, make all
3: the choices. Yeah. And we're always cautious. I mean, like, like Michael said, I mean, uh, I like technology. I don't have the newest Apple watch and, uh, my, I think my phone is two generations old, but I mean, uh, I like technology. So, anything that we can do to learn and use it, make our lives easier, make uh, higher quality products for our customers, you know, what we're trying to do here. Uh, yeah. These trucks aren't running, our customers aren't making money. That's that's the one underlying thing. We are providing a tool. Our trucks are a tool for them, uh, for our drivers, for the fleets who are buying our trucks to make a living, and if if we can't give them a quality truck and... Uh, in a in a reliable amount of time you know they're going to go somewhere else there's a lot of other truck manufacturers out there so it's, it's very competitive for us as a brand yeah well bill thank you so much for coming on the
2: show today we appreciate you for spending the you. time with us and, and sharing these insights
3: yeah thanks bill nice meeting you both or michael i've, I've met brian before
0: <laughs> of...
3: all right guys well you guys have a good day
2: thank you
0: Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Voices of Manufacturing podcast with Brian Salee and Michael Muhlenberg. This show is brought to you by Dazuki, the premier digital transformation solution that allows manufacturers to standardize operations. Our website where you can listen to our episodes and find tons of helpful resources is dazuki.com. Sign up for our monthly newsletter so you'll be the first to know about new episodes. That's dazuki.com, and join us in creating the frontline of the future.